uh, demand is still sort of waning relative to pre-COVID levels. So look, the government is aware they need to get uh, more foreign investment in, hence they need to create the incentives. And they do that through some of the priority lending schemes uh, where there are some tax breaks. But generally speaking, the comment you make about capital gains tax and taxes in general probably need to be considered over the, uh, the coming year years. Now, next week's going to be a crucial week for investors. We've got the Fed meeting and, and all the indicators seem to point to them, uh, indicating that they're going to be more aggressive on um, on tightening. And we've had this sell-off now in the US, the NASDAQ uh, well into correction territory, the S&P 500 down off 7% from its highs. What, what do you make of what's going on there? Yeah, well, I think it's it's not surprising. You know, you had a very uh, fairly aggressive jump in yields from sort of one and a half in a ten year to one point eight eight, which is uh, heading up towards their two year highs. Uh, it's come off a little bit, but that's triggered the move in the equity markets. Um, even despite that, you know, our earnings figures uh, overall in the US on the Q4 have been pretty good. Um, the forward guidance is a little less optimistic, and you know, you've seen some significant. Uh, uh, stocks, you know, take a hit. I think even Netflix, as late as this morning, you know, uh, copying a, a large move down in the in the aftermarket because of um, lower subscriber growth. So, I suspect the outlook for equities, at least in the short term, is very volatile. Uh, and when we talk about these type of transition moves, where we see yields starting to rise, it's really about the velocity that frightens the market. So, what the Fed will be looking to do is to try to you know, get a measured approach, try to get the investors to see that uh, this move in interest rates coming up this year is consistent with a stronger economy, not just purely about inflation. Okay, Toby, thanks very much. Have a great weekend. That's Toby Lawson, the CEO of Societe Generale India. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In Asia this morning, Nasdaq futures are down about three quarters of a percent following those Netflix results, and that's dragging Asian stocks even lower. In Australia, the SX200 is off one and a third percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan is now down over two percent. The Cosby in South Korea is off 0.6 percent. Looks like Hong Kong stocks may outperform. Futures markets indicating a decline of about 30 or 40 points at the open for the Hang Seng Index. In the commodities markets, uh, Brent crude oil pretty well unchanged at $87.41 a barrel. Uh, Gold also unchanged at $1,839 an ounce. Thank you very much for listening this week. Do have a great weekend. Join me again, please, on Monday morning. But in the meantime, stay tuned to Radio 3 for back chats with Janice Wong and Andrew Work coming up after the news. The weather forecast, sunny intervals, cool in the morning. Maximum temperature is going to be around 20 degrees during the day and the outlook is for a few rain patches tomorrow and mild and humid with relatively low visibility on Sunday and Monday. Uh, The temperature right now, 17 degrees, 82% relative humidity. Here's Andrew Shirosky with the half-hour news. A prominent medical expert is urging the elderly to get vaccinated against COVID-19 as soon as possible, saying there appears to be a number of undetected infections across Hong Kong. Professor Benjamin Cowling from the University of Hong Kong's Public School of Public Health says measures used in the previous waves of infections, such as working from home and school closures, may not be enough now, as the Omicron variant is much more transmissible than previous variants measures that were used in the third wave and the fourth wave, meaning school closures, work at home, um, stopping larger groups of people gathering and so on. Those measures in the third and fourth wave were just about enough to control that virus. Omicron that we face now is much more transmissible, and I'm not sure that those measures used before would be sufficient to control Omicron in the community now. 
He said the focus should be on elderly vaccinations rather than allowing children as young as five to get inoculated. Professor Cowling also said in order to cull hamsters and small animals that arrived in the SAR in late December came too late, as any transmission from animal to human would have already occurred. Residents at Yat Kwai House on Kwai Chung Estate must now test for COVID every night until and including Sunday if they wish to leave the building the following morning. The announcement follows a major coronavirus outbreak in the public housing block involving 15 residents and the security guard. Violet Wong reports. The cases live in 12 apartments spread over 11 floors. Dr. Albert L from the Center for Health Protection said initial investigations had shown that a man carrying the BA2 strain of Omicron and who is part of the Silka Hotel cluster had visited the building's refuse collection room on January the 13th. He had then taken away some items and sold them in Shamshaipo near the Peihol Street Market. Dr. L said it's believed the man introduced a virus to the building. Overnight COVID lockdowns have ended at three housing blocks in Tinsui Wai, Chunwan and Chongshawan after three residents had earlier tested preliminary positive for the coronavirus. No new cases were found. Overseas, the Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky has responded to comments by Joe Biden about the threat of invasion by Russia. On Wednesday, the U.S. president appeared to suggest that a minor attack might bring a weaker response from Washington and its allies. Mr. Zelensky said there was no such thing as a minor incursion. He urged Western governments to take action against Russia. Our partners need to be effective, not just in words. What is important is not just information about what Russia can do or what the world will do in this case, but naming specific sanctions, measures that the whole world is prepared to take. The former Pope, Benedict, has expressed shock at the sexual abuse of children by clerics after a report accused him of failing to take action in four cases in Germany. A spokesman said Benedict needed to examine the full document, which was commissioned by the Roman Catholic Church. The allegations date back to when he was Archbishop of Munich four decades ago. He denies wrongdoing. And that's the news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat with Janice Wong and me, Andrew Work. Today is Friday, January the 21st, and today we are talking foster care for kids in Hong Kong. And then we're on to secondary school suspensions that were announced yesterday. Foster care is leading the headlines as a foster family was forced to give up a baby they sought after they sought to adopt the child, or were they? The request was first rejected by the Social Welfare Department, which said it would terminate foster care if the couple filed for adoption. But the Welfare Department later told the father that they can continue caring for the child for now. Why is it so complicated? Well, due to the pandemic and other procedures, the baby has been staying with the family for 17 months, much longer than the usual duration of about four to six months. Under the current system, foster parents cannot adopt the child in their care, which raises the question, why not? How does the foster care system work and how does the pandemic change things up? And then after 9.15, we'll be talking about the government's decision to suspend face-to-face classes for secondary schools by Monday, after a number of students were recently infected with COVID-19. We want to know what you think. You can leave us a message on our Facebook page, Backchat, on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or just give us a call at 2338-8266. 
All right, we got a great lineup of guests here today. I'd like to introduce, uh, we're going to start with Hidabat de Vries, also known as HB. He's the co-chair for Adoptive Families of Hong Kong. Good morning, HB. Good morning. Thank you very much for having us. Great for having you on. Uh, we have Kerry Kong, who is the Chief Supervisor for Foster Care Service with the Hong Kong Christian Service. Uh, good morning, Kerry. Morning. And we also have Eunice Young from the New People's Party. She's a lawmaker and she has been intimately involved with this particular case that's been making the headlines. Uh, good morning, Eunice. Can you morning, give us morning, the lowdown? Everyone. Good morning. morning. Can you give us the lowdown? Tell us what is happening in this specific case and bring us right up to date because the things have been moving quickly. Yeah, I've been helping this family for, for a month or so uh, when, when, when we are running our campaign for the election. Uh, so, so we've been in touch with the SWD and also the Bureau, but um, seems that they have, they didn't give us any idea of what is the policy or the, or the legal framework on, or the rationale on, on holding or, or not letting the foster family to adopt, the, to, adopt to, go, to go through the adoption procedures as usual. And they said that it is, it is the policy uh, within the, the, the Bureau or within the department that it is not allowed. So um, we, I've been asking the oral, oral question next week in, in the last call session and um, try, to, try to get them in hold on what is the underlying principle and what is the policy currently and uh, why, why would they um, hold back the, uh, the procedures of the adoption in, in this stage. So um, in the meanwhile, we, we know that uh, the, the department is, is, going, is, is not going to take the baby for now. For, for the for the meanwhile, but they haven't given us the reason why why they they, they won't do that or, or will they do it again? So uh, we're still waiting for the reply. Now, going to some of the specifics in the news reports, it was that the uh, social welfare department said they would have to give up foster care and then make an application for adoption, which had no you know there, there was no certainty to it. It was a very uncertain proposition taking that path. Is that are those reports generally correct? Yeah, we, we've been asking for the from the from the principal that they 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 they're trying to tell us, but but seems that I've been asking for almost a week, but they didn't give us anything. They didn't tell me which law they are going to apply, and we we all, we know that there is a policy. They they told me, and uh, the principal told me they said, uh, um, and because they worry that there will be issues of human trafficking or it is not acting on the best interest of the child, but. It seems that they, they haven't been evaluating the, the, the family, the foster family, and if they have been uh, placing the, the child, the children, the, the, the kid for, for almost for the 70 months, that it seems that the, 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 the kid is happy with it and, and there is no problem of the, of the caring or, or there is any complaint of the caring. So, uh, so we're still waiting where, whether they will go through the adoption process or will they be allowed to go through the mm. adoption process. Kerry Kong, you've got a lot of experience in this area. Does this, does this sound right to you? Is this, is this pretty much par for the course in dealing with the social welfare department in cases like this? I would say um, we operate this foster care service for almost 15 years already, but this is not a common case to foster, from foster family to adopt the children. We seldom see this issue occurred, but uh, maybe only one or two cases uh, happened before. One or two cases ever where a foster family has asked to adopt a child, really? I think one of the cases uh, is the, the children is uh, mentally retarded children. 
Uh, the, I, I'm not sure, as Eunice said, their policy, uh, the current policy is that the foster parents have to deregister from the foster service, and then they can apply uh, as uh, adoptive parent and adopt, uh, go through the normal adoptive policy. But they cannot promise uh, the baby they are taking care at the moment can be adopted by the foster parent. Right, and when you say deregister, that means the child would be taken out of their care, right? Yeah. Okay, so Eunice Young, I know you're only yeah. going to be able to stay a couple, a couple more minutes. Uh, yeah, yeah. You're making this yeah. approach, but I mean, this is a special case, and the pandemic plays it, a role, it doesn't it? It is. It is a special case, and uh, and they they were being asked to give up the fostering, and uh, the child the child will be uh, will be placed with an, another foster family, mm. and then they can they can go through the adoption process, but there's not guarantee that this is yeah, yeah, the child yeah. that they are going to adopt. They they can they can they can still go through but but yes. it's going to be a pool of children and they are going to do the matching, but but what what we are asking is now um, uh, whether the the local institution or any or, or the committee that they have a they they hold regular meetings every every a few months, and then they can evaluate uh, whether this family can adopt uh, a specific children, mm. because 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 we have two kind of adoption in Hong Kong we have specific adoption and general adoption. For general adoptions, you, you are not guaranteed to have a, 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 a specific baby, mm. uh, let, let's say. And for specific adoption, you can, you can ask for a specific child to adopt. But, but we, we cannot do that because we don't have the consent of the, of the birth parents or birth, the birth mother to, to, to assign, which is the uh, prospective parents for the kid. So, so it is under a dilemma, or we are we are going to in the dead loop in here. So we are asking whether the SWD can we can can um, I don't know how to say that uh, whether they can they can bypass the the normal route so that they can adopt this specific child for for their family. Mm. Mm. Eunice, this question. Eunice, uh, yeah. you mentioned uh, different policies and. Um, Legally, are foster parents uh, in Hong Kong allowed to adopt uh, children in their care? Yeah, they can adopt, but um, you have to go through some kind of legal procedures and you have to ask leave for the court from the high court. You have to ask for the leave for adoption first. And then if and then the court, and then the court will be the guardian at litem. And then the court will evaluate this family, whether it is suitable, they will, they will obtain a suitability report for this specific family, whether mm. he, whether this family can adopt these children, this child. Mm. So, so they have to go through the process, and the process is, is rather costly. It's very costly because they have to first ask for the leave, leave to adopt, and then they, after they got the, got the leave, and then they, go, they, they have to go through the process of adoption in the court. And presumably so they got a lawyer. Another very, very complicated process for for, for a normal family. And they, they, presumably you'd have to hire lawyers for this. Any any estimation of, course, of how much I, it would cost? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Of course. And uh, and the child will be represented by another lawyer, which which uh, is the official solicitor, official solicitor, official solicitor, and uh, of course the the DOJ will be representing the SWD. And then the and then the parents, the prospective parents, will be will, will be either either uh, doing it by in person or have have uh, to engage a lawyer to do so. And uh, Eunice, earlier you said uh, you will follow up uh, this case in Lushko. Um, what exactly are you planning to do? 
I'm I'm asking an oral oral question next week on next Wednesday. So um, to ask them about the policy and whether it is possible for the for for a family, not this case, for a family uh, to do foster to adoption, whether it is possible, and if if yes, how? If no, why not? Eunice, you're, you're a lawyer. I'm going to ask. Eunice, you're, you're a lawyer, yes? Would you be taking this on as one of your pro bono cases? Um, we, we, we're still thinking about it. And um, because it's not just my cause, it's not, it's not just the legal cause of, of the parents. It will, if, if, if this case is going to appeal, then what happened? And I, I need to advise on all the consequences that the, 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 the kind or, my, or this, this family will face. So it is not an easy question to answer. And just uh, finally, uh, Eunice, um, with the COVID pandemic uh, still going on, do you think there are many other foster families who, who are in a similar situation? I don't think so. I, I, I think it is a rather special circumstance uh, under the pandemic situation. <coughs> and not, not most of the foster family will like to, or they have the, they have the mind or they have the idea of um, adopting this child or the child they are, they are taking care of. So I think it is a special circumstance and a special case for the for the department to consider. I mean, I mean, so, spe- special situation as in uh, they're taking care of uh, um, the fostering children for a longer period than originally right. planned. Do you think right. there are other families like that? I I didn't I didn't ask my my the the the, the parents which they are taking care of because they might not know about whether there is any another case like them. So so I don't know I don't know whether there is another case. All right. Well, Eunice, uh, thank you very much for joining us on today on the show. Thank That's you very much. Eunice thank Young, you. New People's Party lawmaker, I guess recently uh, re-elected. HB, I, I have to admit, I was kind of surprised to hear that this was a rare case because uh, I, I think you're familiar with the situation in Hong Kong, but, but other places as well. Um, in many other places, they do have a program for mm. fostering to adoption. HB, isn't that the case? In, in, in other jurisdictions, uh, yes, they do. But uh, my understanding is that that is not the case in uh, in Hong Kong at the moment. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, any idea why? Um, to be honest, no. Kerry Kong. Wanna, yeah. Yeah. Kerry Kong. This might be more in your wheelhouse. What? Why is this so different from the rest of the world? I mean, to, it seems like a very natural thing. Yeah, I I, I think in UK, uh, they have a path from foster to adopt that is allowed. As far as I know, there is no such policy in Hong Kong. Uh, for what I understand, uh, for for the foster parent, uh, that's true that under the pandemic, they may take longer period to take care of the children. But it is not a common cases to uh, for the foster parent. Uh, they want to adopt the children. This is very, very rare and special case. Okay, I mean, uh, I've heard... You know, we've seen things that there's there's an idea that uh, the government wants to prevent uh, child shopping, that people will foster a kid and say, no, nah, I don't like that one. Give me another. Nah, I don't like that one. Give me another. Okay, wait, I like this one. Now I want to adopt this one. Is it is this kind of the idea? Try before you buy. Yeah. Try before you buy. Yeah. They, they have an idea. But, I mean, it sounds like it hasn't happened very often. I mean, what, what are they afraid of if we've had literally two other cases in 50 years? Yeah, yeah HB, what, I mean... Uh, you know, can you, can you talk a little bit about this one uh, and what ado- what drives adoptive families to adopt? Um, <clears throat> it's interesting actually to see that uh, during the pandemic, when we um, as AFHK, uh, we've seen a lot more interest actually uh, from people for our waiting families uh, sessions, where 
prospective adoptive parents or people that are in the adoption process actually are um, attending to get more information, uh, understand what actually the process is. So we've seen from going from face-to-face -face sessions where we've got maybe six persons attending to now having actually to uh, get a maximum on how many people can attend our sessions. You're, you're, you're maxing out your sessions with too many people want yeah, to come. They're interested in adopting. Yes, yeah. interesting in adopting. And I think because of the pandemic, people actually reflect more on um, on, on life situations. And I do think there's, uh, uh, from my perspective, there's more interest in actually uh, what adoption is and people wanting to adopt. Okay. So, so if more people... Yeah, in, Karen? My, in my observation and my opinion, uh, the pandemic is not the cause for longer period of stay. Mm. Rather, it is because of the shortage of foster family. Ah, so mm. even though there is no pandemic, the children have to stay in the emergency foster home. Actually, they ha uh, they they stay for six weeks, but now. Uh, the reality is that the infants or the children will stay for one year in the emergency foster care because so, there is not enough ordinary foster home for the children they need. And then, and how old are these children usually? Oh, uh, the children is under eighteen. So we got uh, infants, the newborn, to the youth. The age is very in a big range. Yeah, so I mean, uh, and, and do pe are people very specific about what kind of children they're willing to foster? Because I mean, I mean especially if you know, you're, you're fairly affluent, you've got access to a domestic helper, uh, taking a baby for four to six weeks wouldn't be a huge burden, but taking in a 15 or 16 year old uh, you know, with, that might have issues would seem like a, a bigger ask. Yeah, it's, it's totally different situation. But what I want to say is, uh, actually, the, I, I didn't see the foster parent. They take care of the baby for a longer time, and then they want to adopt. Because they are very clear about their role, uh, they just provide a temporary family care for the children, and then until they can be adopted or they can return back to their birth uh, family. Right, and you're you're working with the Christian service. Are most of the Hong Kong Christian service? Yeah, Hong Kong Christian service. Are most of the people that come through your system are they are they associated with churches? Are they are they devout Christians? Oh, not not necessarily. Okay. Because the the foster parent is recruited uh, by the central foster care unit. Essential. We share the home pool. Is uh, that that is centralized. Uh, and operate by the SWD. Right. So the government organizes the kids, and but you are out there finding foster parents. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, for these two years, we are also <coughs> we can uh, search for the suitable foster home by ourselves. Mm -hmm. uh, that's better because the shortage of the foster family very serious because the quota for the foster children is over 1,000. But actually, uh, the children we serve in Hong Kong is only eight, uh, 900. Right. The I, I have, is yeah. because of uh, lack of 
uh, foster family. So, so how do you um, search for foster homes? You just mentioned you can do it yourself. Okay, we do a lot of promotion program. Uh, for example, we we will have uh, cooperation with the uh, social media, uh, TV program, or radio, or we we will invite the existing foster parent to invite their friends, relatives, uh, uh, those they they familiar with, and to register. And uh, if through this uh, procedures, we will uh, provide a home study, home assessment, and the pre-service training and, and uh, all around the service and prepare the home to be uh, ready uh, to serve the children. Gotcha. I'm, I'm looking at statistics from the that we got from the Social Welfare Department, and this is updated as of the end of 2021, so December 31st. They say there's uh, 944 foster families and 919 children currently in foster care service, which suggests that's right. that, yeah, but I mean, that sounds like there's more families than children. Yeah, from the, from the figure, it seems that family are more than the children, yeah. but uh, don't forget, we match uh, children, uh, there are so many factors for the children to match with the foster family. For example, their age, their sex, the location uh, that is uh, near to their school or birth family. So it's far more uh, not enough for the children uh, in, the, in the society. Because we, we still have 200 placement quota that is not uh, filled up. That means at least 200 foster children are on the way list. Right, and, and I think this is where the people might have a question in their minds about the difference between foster and adoption. Um, I guess, are kids in an orphanage always up for adoption, whereas kids in foster care are mostly expecting to go back to their families at some point? Is, is You know what I mean? Is that why we have a waiting list? I mean, or, or kids in foster care? Uh, you know, when we look at the numbers from the same statistics that we got, they said there's 97 children in Hong Kong up for adoption. But there's 919 in foster care. So are most of those kids expected to go back to their families? Yeah, I think I think most of the uh, foster child is ex- are expecting to go back to their birth parent. Right. Okay. What, what we are doing, our goal is to uh, for the reunion of the family, okay. because we uh, the adoption is very different from the foster fostering. The, the rationale between these two surfaces is very different. What we are looking for is to build up the birth parent, uh, build up, restructure the birth family, and then one day they can take care of their children back. Mm. So the, these are very different worlds mm. in Hong Kong. I mean, in other countries, the foster uh, care world and the adoption world are, are quite closely linked to each other. But but HB, um, do you ever have contact with people that work in the area of foster care as as the co-chair of Adoptive Families of Hong Kong? Yes, we, 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 we do have contact there with them. Contact. But there, there is contact. But it's it, what you said, there is, it's quite different worlds, uh, especially here in Hong Kong, because of what we just discussed. And so that, that is an issue. Um, we mostly at the moment are actually adoption family of Hong Kong, uh, trying to inform and support the adoption families. But we do actually also try to uh, 
support foster families and fostering, but mostly we are now uh, focusing on adoption. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Um, we're going to be taking a break in just a second for the second half of the show here. Uh, right now, we're speaking to H.B. Tries, uh, who is the co-chair of Adoptive Families of Hong Kong, and Kerry Kong, Chief Supervisor, Foster Care Service, Hong Kong Christian Service. After the break, we are going to be joined by Dr. May Lam, who is the Vice President of the Hong Kong College of Psychiatrists, so we can get into uh, a little bit more detail on the show. Uh, we'd like to remind people to send in your emails uh, at backchat at rthk.hk. Uh, we can also give us a call, right, Janice, in the second half of the show? Yeah, 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 definitely. Do we, you remember the number? We'd be happy to take your calls at 2338-8266. Things are going to be looking good at that time. Um, and in the second half of the show, <clears throat> we are going to be getting into the uh, suspension of secondary schools. I was shocked to find out that my daughter does have to go to school next week. Uh, even though she's in grade 10. So I think there's still a lot of confusion out there on this topic. And <clears throat> people can send us their questions uh, because it's going to be really interesting to get into that one. There's a lot of wrinkles to this second uh, half of the show. Uh, we are going to get to the weather today. Uh, fortunately, we are looking forward to an absolutely spectacular weekend. Uh, things are going to be cool in the morning. Maximum temperature today will be around 28 degrees. We are talking mainly cloudy with a few rain patches tonight. Moderate to fresh easterly winds, occasionally strong uh, offshore. And uh, we're going to have a few rain patches tomorrow, a little bit of wind over the weekend. Uh, I'm looking forward to a good weekend, but you got to watch out for a little bit of rain. Uh, the current temperature is 17 degrees Celsius. And Janice, uh, we are going to come back. But uh, Hittabart, uh, we're going to start with you when we get to the second half of the show and maybe talk a little bit more about adoptive families and get into some of the statistics if you're up for it. Are you ready for yeah, that? Absolutely. Okay, thanks. That's really great. And so we're going to take you right up to the news, which is going to be starting in about 10 seconds. HK. And we're back at Backchat at RTHK. I'm Andrew Work and uh, hosting today with Janice Wong. Uh, we're going to the second part of our show uh, talking about this special case uh, in Hong Kong where a foster family had a child for an extended period of time. They asked to be able to adopt the child uh, and were told they would have to give it up. And we're getting into the details of that with uh, H.B. De Vries, who is the co-chair of Adopted Families Hong Kong. Kerry Kong, Chief Supervisor, Foster Care Service, Hong Kong Christian Service. And we are now joined on the line by Dr. May Lam, who is the Vice President of the Hong Kong College of Psychiatrists. Uh, welcome to all and welcome to Dr. Lam for joining us now. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. So, good morning. So, um, Dr. Lam, uh, we are dealing with the situation, and this is a special case that we're talking about because, of course, we, what we've heard is that normally foster families have the child for four to six months. In this case, it's been 17 months. And, right. you know, what, what kind of an impact does this have on the child? Well, I guess, um, well, this is very important because, like, we know that, like, the children in the fa foster family, I mean, originally, they're left from their biological parents. Now that in the foster family, I think, like, if it's, uh, the baby has been there for 18 months, like, usually when we talk about the attachment, it happens around, like, three months up to eight months, and also ongoing, they will develop an attachment figure. Like, usually, it is um, the one who spends most time with them, taking care of them, like parents. Now, if 
the children, I mean, if the child started, you know, to develop this, you know, attachment figure, and then, like, if there is a disruption again, you know, that would not be good in the best interest of the children, because we know that a secure attachment would be very important for the children's emotional and psychological later on. And, you know, like, secure attachment, you know, being, you know, when, um, you know, the parents, I mean, like, um, you know, the attachment figures are able to respond to the needs of the baby. And then, like, in reaction, the baby, you know, will feel content and, you know, uh, will be happy. And this kind of, like, uh, interaction would be very important. Now, if there is another disruption, as I think on top of the originally separation from the parents, I think that would be cause, you know, a double, uh, you know, you can mm. say that there is a dub- double trauma or double, you know, separation for the kids, so it might not be good. And of course, um, I think during the adoption process application, then the social welfare department will, you know, will make assessment whether or not, you know, the adop- adopting parents are suitable, you know, environment and so forth. But then I think, like, if, if like, um, the ad- ad- adoption parents are good, and I don't see there's any point of having a disruption in the attachment, which is very crucial and is essential for the child development yeah, and security. I, I could see how a longer stay would mean more trauma at the end. But I mean, moving the kid every four to six months, is that not a different kind of trauma? No, no. Do, um, the, uh, like, um, you know, I think originally, like uh, when we talk about adoption, like, um, you know, um, there are kids um, that are there and then we need to foster parents. And of course, like um, if we have a, you know, I think it depends on the process of the social welfare department. And then if like um, the foster parents are there and then eventually the, the, the child would, um, you know, would wait for the adoption parents. And usually the adoption, as what I mentioned before, like the attachment developed from six months until like, um, you know, uh, the uh, the first three years. So those time would be very important. And of mm. course, if we got, you know, um, adoption, uh, adoptive parents there with no interruption, and, and that should be the, the best for the children's development. But fortunately, you know, things happens and, you know, uh, you know, with the ad- adoption process. And I think, you know, some, some, some kids, they might not uh, be able to get, a, you know, adoption parents uh, earlier. Right. And, and Carrie Kong, you know, we talked in the first half of the show about how most kids in foster are expecting are expected to go back to the regular families. While they are in foster care, are they interacting with their with their families, seeing them on weekends or visits oh, yeah. or phone calls? That is where we encourage, uh, we encourage the uh, home life and uh, the contact with the birth parent to keep frequent contact with the birth parent, uh, with the kids, so that they can rebuild the relationship. And one day, we, we strengthen the birth home, and then we hope that the birth home can take care of the children, uh, go back home. But for some cases, they are adoption cases. They are infants and waiting for uh, adoption and living in and taking care by the foster family. Um, for this case, we, we totally agree with what Dr. Lamb said. I attach uh, the baby will uh, find out the foster parent as their secure, uh, secure attachment figure. So it is the case the children may be difficult to separate with the uh, Foster figure, but we need to take care, take longer time to prepare the children. Uh, if we know uh, the adaptive parent 
uh, is uh, designed to adopt the children, we will uh, facilitate their contact in foster family. Um, until the children feel safe, more safe and familiar with the adoptive parent, um, the children may leave the foster parent. So, so Carrie, after the um, the child in foster care returns to uh, um, his or her own family, does does the child still um, get to um, contact the uh, foster family? Is there a kind of arrangement like that too? Yeah, sure. Because uh, we are working for the human being, <laughs> the children stay in lot, and longer they stay in the foster family, they will uh, develop a very close relationship, even with the birth parent. Uh, after they going back to to their birth family, they will have uh, informal contact. Usually, they will go back to visit uh, to the foster family and go to chit chat with them, or even in a, a, a festival, they will go together to have a, a meal dinner together. They can make some kind of uh, this kind of informal contact. Okay, so we're really talking about two very different cases, uh, maybe older, yeah. older kids in foster care expected to go back to the family that they are still interacting with versus really young kids uh, who might go in. And I mean, uh, there's the psychological element, but there's also this question of fairness. And we have an email from Nigel who says, you are missing the point. He starts off very strong. <laughs> the concern is that fostering might be used to jump the queue. There are parents waiting to adopt who do not foster first. For general adoption, there is a formal matching process in the best interest of the child. Uh, we did talk about the possibility that, you know, or, or the, the thinking at the social welfare department that families might foster to, what did you call it, uh, HB? Uh, <laughs> try before you buy. Try before you buy, yeah, yeah. you had a clever <laughs> thing. But this, this idea that uh, people might be trying to jump the queue, but... It looks like adoptive parents in Hong Kong can be really, really picky, too. Um, I'm adopted. When my parents put their names in, it was like, you can't have kids. They're like, okay, we'll adopt. And it was like, you just take what you get. But in Hong Kong, that's not the case, is it, HB? No, absolutely not. Uh, one of the, the, the great things, actually, I think, for Hong Kong is that before you adopt, you have to uh, really go through a very stringent process. And one of the things that you have to go through is actually a medical form where you fill out what... Um, you are willing to accept in uh, a prospective adopted child. So it, it, that's medical form is, is, is massive. Yeah. Um, and uh, give, us, give us an idea of some of the specifics. We were talking about it before the show started. It was pretty specific and like really even cosmetic. It, well, you, you, the, the things are what, what do you accept of the, the birth parents, right? Uh, persons with substance abuse. Um, did the father smoke? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, things like that, but also about uh, what kind of birthmark you're willing to accept on the face. Uh, how big? Really? That, that specific. So yeah. Yeah. So I mean, this is. Uh, I mean, th this is for me. For me, this is kind of uh, astounding. Um, yeah. So this. This. There is a formal matching process uh, in Hong Kong to our to our writer Nigel, but it, it, I'm just amazed at how specific it is and maybe it explains why so many kids are waiting what about kids in orphanages i mean we have the kid the impression kids in orphanages. are they mostly up for adoption or are they what is the situation there we're talking about foster but 
uh, if you would say for orphanage, uh, I think the definition is quite hard to say what an orphanage is. There's different organizations, and if you talk about adoption, but the the goal of the social welfare department is always to uh, keep children uh, with with the birth families. Mm -hmm. That's rule number one, right? Yeah. If that's not a possibility, or if the birth families need some support, it might be the case that some of the organizations will uh, support the birth parents uh, until they're ready to actually uh, take care of the child themselves. Mm -hmm. And so before that, they might go in foster care or they might be in an organization themselves. Uh, that's rule number one. And I think that's very good. Mm -hmm. uh, and at, at last resort, it's adoption. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I guess some of some of these are really tough cases. I mean, you've got like Mother's Choice. It works with single mothers, works with children that have a lot of health issues, also domestic mm -hmm. helpers. Uh, Carrie Kong, uh, do you deal with those kind of cases where domestic helpers have children and they're they're kind of in a tough spot and kids have Sorry. to go into foster care? I beg your pardon? Um, do you deal with the cases where it's been domestic helpers in Hong Kong that have had children and children have to go into foster care? Or the children you deal with all, all born to people that have permanent residence in Hong Kong? Oh, we, we usually uh, deal with the children. They are uh, residential and they got the established uh, Hong Kong resident. Okay. So th those would be other people dealing with kids going into foster care from, say, domestic helpers where the children don't automatically get that kind of... Care. You, you do have a, a very good organization, if I might say. It's Pathfinders. They they give great support to uh, uh, mostly domestic helpers um, mm -hmm. in difficult situations, being pregnant in Hong Kong, and uh, and sometimes uh, the employers do not accept that the helper is pregnant. Sure. So very difficult situations, especially with uh, not being able to go to the home country or other jurisdictions. So uh, that's a, an organization that uh, tries to support these persons. So there is support for them. Uh, and it, it happens uh, very often. Okay. And, and Dr. Lam, are the Hong Kong psychiatrists, uh, you're, you're the vice president of the Hong Kong College of Psychiatrists, uh, do they have programs where they work with foster families, adoptive families, or um, foster families, or families whose children have gone into foster care? No, not specific program for them, but then we do have like, uh, like we, we, we do have um, like our website and we do have like talks to support various, um, you know, uh, um, like uh, NGO on like the talks about like um, early development about, you know, student mental health and so forth. And but not direct program like to support, um, you know, the, the kids in the foster families. Okay, Janice, I think we have a caller. Um, no, 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 no. Okay. No, no. <laughs> or maybe not. No, that's all fine. Well, thank you very much. We've had a, we've had a really great show here today with uh, our guests. I'd like to thank H.B. Uh, DeFries. He's the co-chair of Adoptive Families of Hong Kong. Thanks for coming out to the studio today. We're getting people in the studio. That's great. Thank, thank you, very you very much. Thank you. Social interaction. Thank you. <laughs> thank you very much to <laughs> Carrie Kong, who is the chief, super, uh, chief supervisor for Foster Care Service, Hong Kong Christian Service. Thank you for coming to the show and for the good work that you do. And Dr. May Lam, who is the vice president of the Hong Kong College of Psychiatrists. And here on Backchat, we are now moving to an issue that has got a lot of parents and a lot of students up in arms. And that was the announcement that we are going to have uh, secondary school suspensions. Uh, but it's a little complicated. We'd like to speak now to Dion Chen, who is the chairperson for the Hong Kong Direct Subsidy Scheme Schools Council and the principal of Yinghua College. Uh, good morning, Dion Chen. 
And Dion Chen's hopefully going to be joining us in just a second. Yep. Hello. Good morning, Mr. Chen. There we go. Yep, mo- morning. 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 Hello, everyone. Yep. Hi. So, Dion Chen, what, what is the deal with the schools and this announcement? When you say secondary, when, when it said that secondary uh, school students are not going to school, my daughter's in grade 10. She's going to school next week. Who is going back to school and who is not? Well, okay. So, as per the letter issued by the EDB yesterday, basically, uh, all students in the secondary school and, of course, the primary school as well, should uh, stop the face-to-face lesson starting from next Monday. And, uh, but of course, like in the letter, it stated that like some flexibility is given to the school uh, for the students who need to attend the public examination. So, for example, like a local school, we're talking about those form six students who are going to take the DSE exams, or in the, in some school they offer non-local curriculum, just like IB or GCA levels. And if they are in a year that they have to take examinations, then some flexibility uh, is given. Okay, and and how much flexibility? I mean, what are, what are they allowed to do? Okay, and uh, it depends on the school-based decision, and uh, they can uh, basically EDP allows the school to. Uh, plan for their own action. For example, like these so-called public examination students, they can return to school for assessments, just like examinations, or for uh, necessary lessons. Right. And uh, I guess the, the idea is that there have been some secondary school students who have got uh, showed up with COVID. Um, how much risk are people at the schools? I mean, people generally have a perception that children are a pretty low-risk category and there haven't been major spreading events associated with, with schools. Like uh, schools in Hong Kong, we have been working very hard to follow or uh, you know take every single uh, precautionary measures. And uh, luckily, and uh, we do not have some big crisis in schools uh, in the past. But of course, like uh, some cases happened in a, at the beginning of this week, really alarming. So I think that's why like the EDP had this move. And uh, in school, like uh, some schools, they are allowed to have the uh, full day whole school. Uh, lessons, okay, before. Uh, if the students, they got 70%, more seventy more than 70% of students, they got vaccinated. So that's why some schools in the class, like, they can have the whole whole school full day uh, lessons in school. But, like, uh, I know that, like, starting from, basically started from last week, some schools, they have already changed their uh, lesson mode to the half day because of, like, uh, reducing the risk of spreading, uh, you know, or getting infections during lunchtime. Mr. Chen, I know um, some Form 6 students in uh, local schools, um, they will be allowed to return to school for not more than half a day under the uh, latest arrangement. Do you think that's enough time for them to prepare for their upcoming diploma of a secondary education exam? Well, of course, like we prefer more like uh, face-to-face time with the students. But uh, most of the schools, as far as I know, like they have already completed the Form 6 curriculum or the DSC curriculum uh, by this time. So the Form 6 students at this time, like either doing the uh, preparation for examination, for example, exam paper traveling, or they are going to take the mock examinations in school. So if we're talking about like just based on the teaching side, should be no big impact. But like, of course, for the preparation for examination, it, uh, well, half-day school certainly has some uh, you know, impact. And what's been the reaction of parents? I mean, are they worried about this arrangement? Uh, well, I think it's quite diverse views. Like, uh, of course, some parents really would like the, uh, you know, the kids to return to school because, like, there will be some direct support from the teachers. But of course, we also understand that, like, some parents are concerned about, like, the, the, you know, the 
the transport, okay, when they commute from home to school or from school to home. So uh, there's probably uh, at the news released yesterday that like there may be some uh, spread of a virus case in MTR, right? Yes. So that that may be cause some you know concerns of some parents. And uh, just uh, yesterday, I was uh, reading the newspaper, a medical expert, uh, he, he expressed concern over the lack of ventilation at uh, some schools. And um, he said that all in-person classes should be suspended. Uh, do you think um, uh, Form 6 students or other students who will be returning to school for exams will be at risk when they're at school? Is that a concern for you? Well, uh, it all depends on the, the type of school or like uh, what kind of facilities they have. And I know that quite a lot of schools, uh, the, the facility they have, they should be uh, able to meet the government requirements for the ventilation. And uh, also, like, when we have the, only, when we only got the Form 6 student returned to the school, and the whole school, we only got one level students there. So relatively, uh, you know, not too crowded in school, and uh, the risk should be further reduced. And does this uh, latest uh, suspension of uh, face-to-face classes at secondary school come as a surprise for for secondary schools, or were they expecting it anyway? So, could you repeat your question, sorry? I mean, were were secondary schools surprised by this decision to Mm. suspend face-to-face classes, or or were they sort of expecting it anyway? Mm. I think think, think all of us are expecting it, like especially uh, started like two weeks ago then uh, the announcement about the primary school they have suspended the uh, face-to-face lessons and especially some cases happen uh, at the end uh, I mean at the end of last week and also at the beginning of this week so I think schools are expecting these kind of the arrangements yeah and I mean the, edu- the the primary kids were already were already shut down you must have seen this coming on the horizon how many different contingency plans do you have for different scenarios now I mean if the government announces you know if let's say Omicron gets loose in Hong Kong and it happens right before you're having all the major exams. Do you have plans in place to deal with a kind of a, a, a you know 100% disaster situation like that? Mm. I think as shared, like uh, we are expecting this kind of the movement from the government. So uh, we already got a few plans in hand. For example, like we uh, at the time we really do not know what kind of the announcement government will make. But for example, they will start. They will say like early start of the Chinese uh, New Year holidays, or as like now, okay. Uh, suspension of the face-to-face only online lesson could continue so uh, different kind of the situations or scenarios that we have different kind of the uh, arrangement uh, in hand mm. but like for now and um, if the government really say that no examinations could be held in school and we have already reviewed our calendar and see whether we can postpone a little bit about the examinations i hope that like maybe after chinese new year holidays or a week or two after chinese new holiday the school could or the student could go back to the school for physical or face-to-face lessons then the examination could uh, go on but if not then the school may need to consider to base on the students daily performances or maybe their first semester's uh, assessment results to project the examination results for the upcoming uh, semester mm, so so i mean it, you know you have a partial closure a week a week before a, an almost week-long holiday eh, maybe not such a big deal but like I said, if you have a huge disaster like that, is, is there a binder with the master plan for, you know, government announces on Friday that everything shuts down and your exams start on Monday? Does that does that kind of master plan exist or are you just going to look at it and be like, eh, maybe we just use the earlier grades? Uh, you know, we'll figure it out when we get there. Wh- yeah, which like, is it? Yeah, and uh, if the, uh, at that time, like, uh, we, we plan that if the government really say no to no, – uh, no face-to-face for everyone, then we need to postpone examinations. 
And of course, like uh, uh, for how long that we can postpone, this all depends on the government's uh, plan at the time. At this moment, so uh, we have some flexibility that we still can arrange students to come back for the uh, more examinations. Okay, so so the plan basically is delay. The delay, yes, correct. Okay. How are you finding universities or, or reacting to this? I mean, we had so many disruptions with exams the previous year. Uh, how do you find that universities are, are are looking at the exam results or using other methods of evaluation when exams aren't possible? Uh, how did you find the reaction was to that previously? Well, I think like the universities, as far as I know, they do not have a very huge concern about like the students' uh, performances or the, the standard. And uh, as you know, like the government like, uh, have already made some changes to the curriculum and also to the examinations, uh, you know, the, some papers or some components uh, in order to create some more time for students to prepare for examinations. So then, uh, and also, you know, HAEA, the exam, examination authorities, they have uh, loads of the benchmark uh, you know, index so that it won't, I believe that okay, the student's performance won't be or the results uh, won't be like uh, underestimated uh, by the universities. Right, because that's that's the most important thing, isn't it, for students and parents? Is you know the whole the whole reason they obsess about what happens in high school is because it controls access to university. Do you, do you talk to the universities? I get you can't talk to every university in the world, but do you talk to the ones in Hong Kong about how they're going to look at this? You go to Hong Kong University and City U and HKUST and ask them, what if we have to cancel exams this year? Right. Personally, I didn't talk to any university for like, I think started from two years ago when we first had this pandemic and uh, the government and the council's representatives already have various meetings to talk about like how did, uh, how we can explain to the university or how can we show to the university the students' performances if no examination uh, could be conducted. So at that time, the HKEA examination authority already I started looking into the uh, grades projection or the marks projections. So then, uh, so that's why, like in the past two years, they kept uh, collecting the students' performances in school and do the sort of the benchmarking to check, like whether students' performance in is there any correlation between like uh, the student performance in school and also the public examinations. So they hope that, like maybe in the future, if there's any examination uh, uh, cancelled, okay, then uh, they could maybe consider to use some of the school assessment record for the uh, you know, grades projection for university entrance. Okay. So it, so you've got a bit of a handle on that. I've got an email here from Richard, uh, and he says, two years ago, schools were closed down for an initial period of two weeks, which stretched into four months. I, I've tried to black it out personally. Uh, he continues, I refer to it as a lost term for my 11-year-old son. There was a lot of uncertainty and no vaccines. This time around, we are ready. Why this ridiculous knee-jerk reaction from the government? I could go on and on with more colorful language, but I won't. Uh, spells color with no use, I'm guessing American, uh, <laughs> Richard. Um, but I mean, a lot of people feel this frustration. Do you think this is a knee-jerk reaction? Or are you like, no, this is pretty much what we expected and we've learned and we can adapt to it? I mean, w which camp are you in? Well, uh, I would say like, uh, there's nothing that we would like to... I, uh, I, I say like none of us would like to see the situation belong, but like, I think the, if the government has to go down to that way, then as a school, then we need to follow. And uh, of course, like if possible, then we really would like to see everybody uh, in schools, and uh, we can uh, we can give students the normal school life as much as possible. As you can, 
And as you know, like in the past two years, and even now, the students really do not have a very complete school life, uh, and uh, and also the experience as well. So this is our big concern. And and you're you're the you're the uh, the chair of the entire DSS school council. Are still some schools better at it than others? In terms of in terms of handling these types of uh, school closures, or or you know, are, is everybody pretty much up to the same standard, or are still some schools very much better equipped than others? I would say, like especially after two year two years experience, and uh, almost every schools um, we have a very pretty similar standard. Like we all have just got the online platforms ready for online lessons and also the ways to handle students like emotional issues or even so, uh, kind of uh, offer some of the well-being uh, activities to the student online. So uh, yep, the last two years experience really helped us and uh, I can say like most of the schools they have really pretty similar standard now. And uh, Mr. Chen, right now the uh, class suspension is supposed to last until at the end of the Lunar New Year holiday. Uh, looking at the current situation, are you worried that class suspension may have to continue f- for even longer? Uh, yes. Uh, so we are also like uh, planning if the situation uh, continues. So what can we do next? So of course, like uh, if the government say like no face-to-face lessons, so the only thing we can do is continue with online lessons. But like, is there any any other thing that we can further support students and also support parents? Okay. Well, Dion Chen, it's good to know you guys are out there uh, doing your best. Uh, Dion Chen is the chairperson for the Hong Kong Direct Subsidy Scheme Schools Council and also the principal of Yinghua College. So thank you very much for joining us. Thanks to our guests that we had earlier. Thank you to all of you for listening, uh, and especially those that called, uh, especially those that sent in their emails. Um, I also want to thank Angie Man, oh man, our producer today and my number one man in the sound booth, James. Make sure you tune in Monday for Back Chat when Jim Gould and Mike Rouse will be burning up the Back Chat airways with another panel of hot, hot, hot guests. Janice, it's been a pleasure serving with you. And now we'll have a quick look at the weather. Once again, sunny intervals, cool in the morning. Max temperature 20 degrees today. Mainly cloudy with some rain patches tonight to watch out for. Uh, tomorrow, again, rain patches a little bit windy earlier in the day, but generally mild and humid. Uh, So the current temperature is 18 degrees Celsius, and this has been Back Chat. I will help fight the virus. I will protect Hong Kong. The government has launched the Leave Home Safe mobile app for everyone to keep visit records. Remember to use the app to scan QR codes of designated venues. Visit records will only be kept in your phone. If you went somewhere possibly visited by a confirmed patient, the app will alert you and give health advice according to different situations. Use the app together. Feel at ease when going out. Let's fight the virus. Scan with Leave Home Safe. The time is 9.31 and now the news with Andrew Shirovsky. A prominent medical expert is urging the elderly to get vaccinated against COVID-19 as soon as possible, saying there appears to be a number of undetected infections across Hong Kong. Professor Benjamin Cowling from the University of Hong Kong School of Public Health says measures used in the previous waves of infections, such as working from home and school closures, may not be enough now, as the Omicron variant is much more transmissible than previous ones. Overnight lockdowns for COVID inspections have ended at three housing blocks in Tinchuan, Chunwan, and Chengshuan after three residents had earlier tested preliminary positive for the coronavirus. 
no new cases were found. And residents of Yat Kwai House on Kwai Chung Estate must now test for COVID every night until and including Sunday if they wish to leave the building the following morning. The announcement follows a major coronavirus outbreak in the public housing block involving 15 residents and a security guard. We'll have more on these stories at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Design. Great interpreter of Beethoven. As well, oh so shy, quiet and retiring doggy cats, co-founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is a really for adults, it's not really for cats. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Decide what's happening behind the myth. Good morning. Inter- interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Welcome to Friday, here on The Morning Brew. Off after 10 with producer and musician Mark Rawson. We're going to continue to feature and talk about music created over the last couple of years by Hong Kong's wonderfully talented singers and artists. 11.10, it's this week's serving, okay, of sports and all with Danny Hicks. Danny is knee-deep in reporting the Australian Open for AFP today, so we may or may not be able to unleash him on Facebook Live. We'll see. And after 12, of course, it's marshy movie time. Or at least it would be if the cinemas were open. Nashi Netflix time, there you go. He's going to be looking at streaming releases, The Tender Bar, Cop Shop, Peacemaker, Brazen and Archive 81. Join James on Facebook Live as usual with your impeccable insights. Come along. 